Hey listeners, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Code. I'm Mike. This is going to be a slightly different one this episode, and I guess I'd like to start off by apologizing for um, just the inconsistency in terms of the, you know, the release cadence for um, putting new episodes out for our show. Hopefully we can uh, get a little bit more consistent with that in future, but, you know, there's always a chance of um, things coming up that will, will disrupt that, but we'll hopefully try and keep that to a minimum. Um, because we we are aware that it's going to be a little while before we get a chance to do our next recording, um, we were basically thinking that some of that um, some of that remaining content from the last recording could be um, could be valuable as a as another episode. So um, we wanted to basically just package it up and um, and put it out there, and hopefully um, you, you listeners get some enjoyment out of it. I apologize in advance for some potentially a couple of abrupt cuts just to to put it together. Like I say, it wasn't originally our intention to to release this part of it. So um, hopefully it's not too jarring. Some of the areas we cover include robotics, the implications of bringing products to market, um, what we think is fair compensation for different types of work um, and we also talk about some of the sunk costs of uh, geek pursuits so with that we'll get into it what does interest me is is robotics and i don't know that much about it although at the moment it strikes me that with self-driving cars that work there's a whole class of uh sort of tedious things that I have to do every day, you know, washing things, cleaning up, sweeping up, cleaning up after kids, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, it would be really good if those things could be solved by robots. And these things are approximately as complex as a self-driving car, I think. Like hmm. ballpark, I'm, I'm not like an expert on these things. Like I'm sure if the amount of energy was put into a self-driving car, um, the same amount of energy was put into like folding my clothes. Like well, probably it's possible you could, you know, have a machine that identifies scenes with computer vision, has little arms that grab it, you know, and maybe a one meter cubed box. You could probably fold a bunch of uh, clothes out of the washing machine. Like it's a solvable problem. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I wish that there were more things like all this technology could actually save us time. Like I don't know if you've like heard about predictions in the 60s or 50s, I don't know exactly when it was, that in the future we would only have to work four hours a day or something because we'd have so much time because of all the new technology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I mean, that's, that's the whole idea of robotics, you know, um, is, you know, automating tasks that you don't want to ha- have to manually perform, um, you know, because it's less effort or it's quicker um, for for a machine to do that work for you, you know. So, I mean, that that's, I guess, with your example of folding T-shirts, um, it's it's really just a matter of, you know, whether there'd, there'd be a market for a device that, that did that for you. But um, I, for, for me, I I don't fold T-shirts. I, I put them on hangers, for example. But, like, oh, I'm not sure. Robot could do that then. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, true, true. Yeah, I, I, and certainly, like you say, that that was the whole vision of you know the 
the fifties of what was going. They that was the hope for the future was that uh, robotics would would take care of everything. And and that's yeah, like I say, that's the basic idea of robotics. You know, the word robot coming from the you know the the original Slavic word, which sort of had that connotation of you know servitude. Um, that that's what they're supposed to do is supposed to do the the menial stuff for for us. So uh, I I agree, like you say that. You know the the complexity and <clears throat> pardon me the the technology involved in um, getting self driving cars to do their thing is I imagine would be roughly equivalent to you know robots that do the sort of tasks that you're talking about. So I think it's very much physically within the realm of possibility. It's just a matter of whether you know there's a real use case for it or or a market for it. Like I say, yeah, and of course this is all uh, I'm saying all this knowing that, you know, the first version of the robot for the machine would be, you know, astronomically expensive and only very rich people would, would get them. And that's all, all a given, you know, most technologies that when they're introduced, they're going to be like only for a very few people, early adopters or people with, you know, lots and lots of money. That's fine. But, you know, then it iterates and then, you know, it becomes one-tenth the cost within, you know, yeah, yeah. a few years, basically. That, that yeah, usually sure. happens. So... You know, even even given that it may be expensive to begin with, um, I'm surprised this isn't happening more with uh, computer vision. It seems like computer vision has been good enough for long enough that, uh, that we could have had some of these things by now. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, yeah, it, it, like you say, it, there's, there's going to be uh, the cost of um, those sort of devices is going to start off high and, and um, go down pretty rapidly as you know as take up um, you know increases but you, you need the market for the device at the high end to begin with to be able to start 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 off with with um, you know producing and selling them you know and I'm I guess I'm not I'm not convinced that like for the example of something that folds um, clothes for you I'm just not sure whether you know the the rich and powerful would necessarily be interested in something like that. I don't know. I, I'm not really hire people to fold. They have like maids or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm not too au fait with uh, the you know the private lives of um, uh, very rich people, but um, I don't know whether it's there's not interest in that sort of thing because it's already a solved problem. I mean, um, through, through other would for sure have. Yeah, people that do not, the work for them. Not every one of them, but many of them, mm. I would imagine. The kinds yeah, of people yeah. who would buy it would probably have. Yeah. yeah. And it might be as simple as that. You don't, you know, um, uh, clothes folding robots not going to happen because there's just no um, need for it at the top end. So, and that's where it needs to start. Um, so it's never going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right by, by the fact that I don't think one exists. I probably should have checked if one actually exists. It's just an example, though. I could have picked up something else like like a dishwasher that actually like washes dishes without... Um, well, it washes all the dishes that you can't put in the dishwasher, put it that way. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, you've... As far as, um, like, white goods-type um, devices... I think of um, uh, washing machines, you know, it's much more common these days to have um, combination um, washing machine dryers. So it, it washes your clothes, then it then it dries them. And so, I mean, it, that's 
that's just an extra step. It's just a matter of not having to take him out of a washing machine and put him into a dryer. But um, my understanding is that you know those combination devices are you know relatively recent you know um, phenomena because uh, because my understanding is that from a physical and technical perspective, it's you know it it was a bit of a, a difficult thing to. Um, combine them into a single unit that was effective you know so i think there's there's progress happening in those sort of spaces but it's i think it's a lot slower um than people envisaged you know in the mid you know 20th century um because mainly because the the market forces just aren't strong enough to push it along any quicker than that they're the market forces are there they're just not as pronounced as everyone you know, sort of assumed that they would be whenever they had their, you know, utopian visions in their heads earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're sort of arguing for the status quo or for current reality. So not not arguing, but you're making the case that this is why it is the way it is. And I'm not, I'm not disputing that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just just saying that uh, it's, it's interesting that, that it hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah. Or it hasn't happened a lot. It's it's tricky too, though, because you can you can always see examples of of fairly interesting um, robotic solutions, but they seem to always stay in the prototype stage. Mm. They don't, as you say, they don't get mass adoption. So someone yeah. will, will invent something, but then yeah, it's yeah. Again, it's yeah. Um, like of market market interest or enough market interest, you know, it's the same reason why. Well, you um, can't necessarily say that. I mean, it, it's possible that it's a very hard problem to solve, and there is market interest. Yeah, well, yeah, but if the the the, the harder it is um, to solve a problem, the more expensive it is to solve that problem. So, you need a market of people who are willing to pay um, to to solve the problem before it's going to get solved. You know. Mm. It's the same reason why, you know, we, we don't have a, you know, a colony on moon and Mar- on the moon and Mars, you know, like we expected we would by now. Sort of again when we were thinking about this sort of stuff in the fifties is because, you know, who's going to pay for that? Like, where's where's the interest, the the um the economic impetus for that? You know, um, that's that's what drives everything. Yeah. Well. Sure, but I mean, some problems are just hard to solve. Like some problems could have an infinite market interest, and they still wouldn't be solved. So it's not necessarily I, yeah, the case that it's. I the feel market that that's a very only. small set of problems. Is is the like I've, my my opinion is that the sort of the the problems that um, are too difficult to solve, regardless of if you had a blank checkbook for them, I think they that's a very small set of problems. Mm, I don't know. I agree with that. Some things are just really hard to solve. Like 10 years ago, maybe a self-driving car wouldn't have been a possibility even with a blank checkbook. Yeah, but I mean like... It, just, because where the technology was, you know, that, that although, unless you argue that the blank checkbook would have actually, you know, made well, significant steps to improve the technology. Yeah, I mean, the, the example of self-driving cars, it, um, yeah, but we, uh, I think that we managed to get somewhere um, with with that sort of technology mainly because i mean that there was other players um in the space that have been involved as well but mainly because you know we've got you know um 
crazy billionaire um, alien Elon Musk um, coming in and he's bankrolling um, all of the R&D required to, to get this sort of stuff up. So that's a situation where suddenly um, the money, all the money required was provided to uh, to do the R&D necessary to be able to solve those problems and thus they got solved, you know, prior to Musk, you know, there, there wasn't enough cash to to, um, to sort those those technical problems out. I'm not sure I agree with that. By the way, you're using we in the um, terms of the human race. Yeah, correct. Um, okay. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, I when I say could... we, I'm, I'm I'm not referring to you and I. I yeah. we, we haven't. Just so you know, listener, we haven't been involved with uh, self-driving car technology. Just yeah. just to state that for the record. But the other thing is, like, you're just assuming that Elon Musk has um, is sort of responsible for all this computer vision uh, development, and there's a lot, there was a huge amount of computer vision development going on, like with or without Elon Musk. Well, so I don't think it's quite reasonable to to credit him with all that. Well, well, and I mean, R&D. like back to back to you know the um, the Apple stuff because I know how much you love Apple. Um, the uh, <laughs> why are we talking like, about Apple like, again? Uh, the the iPhone, for example. Um, the 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 iPhone wasn't the first you know um, a device that had. Um, a no, decent, no, I get what you're getting All the all the under all of the component technology in the device was already sure. pre pre existing. Um, Apple was the company that had um, the capital yeah. to plow into um, um, perfecting the combination of that technology into something that had a real market, and that's okay, why so that's, just that's why it worked. It's the difference between having developing their technology and bringing it to market. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. But, yeah. but it's not. Elon Musk that was responsible for the like he wasn't responsible yeah, the, for computer vision being awesome. Computer yeah, yeah, that's vision right. was awesome. Yeah, computer vision was awesome ages ago. Like well, before that long ago. I, I did uh, electronic engineering at uni and um, uh, with a focus on ro- robotics, and this was back you know two thousand one to two thousand five, um, and some of the stuff I saw to do with you know, uh, computer vision and, and image processing was very, very impressive. But the thing was, you know, it was, it was a, you know, a solution, again, looking for a market. Um, people, people don't realize how early, you know, um, the, the underlying technology for certain things was, um, you know, achieved or solved, um, how much earlier, um, compared to when it was actually, you know, um, when it actually got mass adoption in some specific um, product or, or solution, you know? Yeah, that's true. Suppose I find it a bit awkward and people like credit, you know, Elon Musk with, with a whole lot of stuff. It's like he's, he's run a company that's brought something to market, which is, of course, a big achievement. Like, I don't mean to be disparaging of that, but it's like all these engineers that worked under him and all the people that did all the research that led up to that are also responsible for that happening. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. And for me, if I credit someone like Elon Musk at all, I credit him firstly for um, being rich, um, which is what achieves most of this stuff. And I, to a lesser extent, I, but probably more important from a technical perspective, I credit him with effectively um, spending the, um, the the resources that he has, you know, access to. Yeah, yeah. 
it's a bit funny in the whole tech sector. There seems to be a bit of a cult of personality going on where where people who um, are successful in some way become sort of these larger-than-life figures. And, um, you know, Elon Musk, I don't know exactly what he does, but um, he started PayPal or was involved in starting PayPal. But, you know, yeah. after that, I'm not sure how much, like, actual engineering he personally does. And that's fine, but... Um, I find that the cult of personality goes a little too far when, when well, these people are obviously surrounding themselves by very talented people who are actually yeah, doing yeah. the work, you know? Yeah, and to be clear, I, um, I, I personally, I, I don't find someone like Elon Musk impressive. Um, the way the system works is um, money gets stuff done. I... I'm I'm a lefty. I, I don't like the fact that that's how it is, but that's just how it is, you know. And um, like it's it's like again because like I say, I, I know how much you love Apple. With Apple, you know the the it's it's you know the, the, when you look at the the founders um, Jobs and Wozniak, Wozniak was the wizard. He was the brains of it, and he was the one that that solved all the problems. And Jobs was the the salesman, you know, but Apple wouldn't be what it is without Jobs, the salesman, you know. I'm not sure. What's your point? I mean, you need good salesmen, sure. No one's arguing about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm not sure whether, you know, if there had have been someone else handling the technical side of things instead of Wozniak, whether, you know, you maybe would have gotten something you know, pretty similar to Apple coming out of that. Um, I and but that that's the thing. Like, you know, the the tech people do the 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 actual work, the heavy lifting. But and and again, I'm not saying I like this, but they it seems to be that the technical people aren't the ones that are remembered as well or lauded as much. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you sort of you're just making an observation, I suppose. And yeah, again, I. There's no, no disagreement about that. I mean, the, the tech people work on the details and the details aren't so interesting. People like to know who had the idea, who pushed the products forward, who made that decision in the boardroom to go ahead with some plan, you know? And all the people who implement it, they're like the people who, like the people who elect, erect the telegraph poles and make the infrastructure, you know? Yeah. You know they, they need to do, know what they're doing, but it's not like they do particularly interesting stuff in the big picture. And no yeah. one has to particularly care about what they're doing. And it's yeah, fine. Well, I, don't, I don't think it should be otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it frustrating, but yeah, it's the, the, um, the frustrating part is without the guys, um, uh, building the lines and the, the power poles, um, they, it wouldn't happen. They wouldn't be there, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird where you, um, sort of where you position infrastructure when you think about such things. I've thought about this a bit, sort of an abstract topic, but it's like, um, like if someone uses your technology, like how much should you, how much satisfaction should you feel with that? Like if you are the inventor of like GZIP, which is like used everywhere, like should you feel like really proud that, I don't know, for some movie they GZIPed all their files? It's like, well, you know, if you invented the file system. Yeah, you know. I, I think I think so, and I think those sort of people are never adequately compensated for what they've contributed. You know. Yeah, but if you look at it like that, it gets a bit weird. Like, like as if they should be given a tiny amount of money for every time someone compresses a file, just because everyone around the world compresses a file with their 
Well, yeah, I mean, like it's a compression algorithm or something, like yeah, I mean, it. yeah, in, in implementing some sort of method of of giving back to them in that way, it's not really, you know, feasible. I don't think, but that's how it should be. You know, you see, I don't even agree with that because if it's sort of it's like a feedback loop. If there happened to be some sort of weird, like hypothetical, uh, what would you call it, royalty system that skimmed tenths of a cent off every bite you compressed or something, then people would just go and use the version of that compression that didn't have that system built in. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I mean when I say it's not really feasible to have some way of doing that. Like, it's also not feasible on a technical level as well as... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm just saying that those people that, that, um, you know, conceive and and, um, produce that, that sort of underlying technology, they should... They, they, in an ideal world, they should be rewarded for that, you know, mon- monetarily. It's, it's yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe we just disagree on that one. Well, that are like, you. Because, I don't know where the should comes from. I mean, usually they have jobs. They can probably feed their families. Yeah, I know, but that's it's what I'm like, saying. It's not, like, like, it's not like they're becoming homeless or something. No, no, and... I'm not saying that they should um, because, you know, they, they're they um, generally on the verge of being destitute or something like that. I'm thinking about it in, in the context of how much, you know, the salesmen of the world get for, you know, putting all of those technologies together in, in a way that's marketable. They, they're the ones that get all the money. And, and to, to my mind, that's not fair, you know? Huh. Yeah, I... Don't see it that way. Hmm. I know what you're saying. I know where you're coming from, and I I can kind of go along with it a bit, but I just don't see it that way. Um, mm. I suppose the way that I see it is that people in the tech industry usually have okay jobs. Like m- maybe they're not making huge amounts of money, but they're well, they're well employed and they're employable. So hmm. just that is, I shouldn't say just that's good enough. Like like as if that's all they should expect but hmm. i think that is in some ways enough payment you know they don't have to become multi yeah. you know, and, billionaires or whatever yeah and it's a different question as to what is quote unquote enough payment for the work that one does um my my probably my issue is more with the amount of money that the salesman guys get um in comparison to everyone else you know not it's not not really so much an issue with um, how much compensation the technical guys get. It's how much more compensation the the product people get, and how how um, you know unfair that is um, uh, as far as they you know the, those top guys go um, from a you know distribution of wealth perspective. Yeah, I mean it's getting a bit philosophical here, but I think you've also <laughs> got to got to counter that with the risk that people take because you've got all these uh, examples of products that are released and flop completely and lose all sorts of money. Like it's not like every product that gets released is suddenly popular in an automatic, you know, yeah. uh, way to, to become rich. You know, you can, yeah. you could start a company and make some new product and you're putting a massive amount of money into this thing, which may fail. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm also playing a little bit of devil's advocate there too, because of course there are some companies that have released product lines that are very successful and pretty safe bet to keep succeeding and you yeah. could make some argument in that case that the people who work at the company should be better compensated than the people at the top of it so yeah it's it's um it's not like it's a you know and that those companies can't be compared to startups who have lots of venture capital yeah. and 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah, all, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, when it is, uh, you know, a proper risk versus reward type equation, that's, you know, that that's more fair enough to my mind for sure. But it's also like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to be the sort of person who goes around selling stuff and promoting other people's work and taking risks and being stressed out about those risks? Because it's not like working at those top jobs. I mean, I can only imagine. It's not like working at those top jobs is like a relaxed lifestyle i'm sure they, they get quite wound up in their work they have yeah. to work long hours and all that stuff and be quite stressed and responsible for all sorts of employment stuff and running companies and you know buying other companies and stuff like this is it's not i would imagine it's not an easy job no so it's correct. Like, well, do you actually want that job like i wouldn't so yeah in some yeah. ways it's like well okay that person gets paid more but that's okay like they have to deal with all those problems yeah and i i, I don't um i'm not against you know, um, people being, yeah, like I say, um, given fair compensation for the work that they actually do. And there's genuine work um, in those sort of um, product and sales type jobs um, that's difficult and stressful. And I'm, I'm not discounting that at all. It's just that when you get to the very highest levels, uh, I think the, you know, the compensation levels start to go beyond, you know, what, what's fair for them sort of thing. But that's all a bit hypothetical, I suppose. Yeah, it's a weird one, and I don't know. Like, I haven't really looked into it enough. Um, but I've heard some interesting arguments to justify it, to put it that way. So, yeah. an example would be like if you work for a nonprofit, like should you be able to get paid a lot as like as as the person running the nonprofit? And an example could be that if you're really really good, you can actually make that nonprofit extremely successful, and you and you in some sense deserve that money or if you're not offered that money you'll just go somewhere else and someone who isn't as good as you will come in and and actually you know make that charity or non-profit less successful so you know you can argue that people should actually be well compensated in leadership roles for non-profits and for yeah and you know and they do they do need to be well compensated for those sort of reasons i'm just um uh like particularly for that example of um you know, um, retention for, um, you know, top level executives and needing to make sure that you pay them enough that they're not going to be keen to go elsewhere. That that's, that's a real, um, mechanic that you have to contend with. But my issue is just that that often results in, um, people getting more compensation, compensation than, you know, they really, than they really deserve for the amount of work that they've done. You know, it's not, they they get all that money not not um, partially for the work that they've done but um, but there's this extra premium on top of it that they get not for the work that they've done but just to stop them from looking elsewhere you know yeah 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 I think it's like it's such a fundamental question like you know how how much people deserve to be yeah um, paid and all that stuff and so it's like I don't know where to go from there like it's, it's true yeah, yeah. there are some situations that are quite ridiculous when you you know on paper at least when you read them it seems like quite unfair and quite ridiculous no arguments mm. there from me yeah I mean it's a bit <laughs> we've gone we've got a fair way well, off topic this is not really with, tech um, anymore is it um, no that's right <laughs> <laughs> well but yeah but I mean like it's sort of um it's some of the underlying drivers for where the tech goes, I feel. It has it contributes, you know. Yeah, I wonder if other industries are quite like this because there is there is some sort of semi political slash social issue with tech where, you know, if 
there seems to be some sense of social responsibility with these tech companies. I'm not sure how much it actually has an impact, but there's um, every now and again, or fairly often actually, you hear about some other companies and the working conditions in, um, you know, in China, for example, you know, underage yeah. people working on things, all that stuff, or yeah. you know, people in yeah. poor working conditions. And it's, yeah. it, it does seem to have some impact. Um, I suppose yeah. the, the comparison is quite stark because it's people buying luxury goods made by people who are, you know, in very, very poor working conditions, or, or, or it can be that at least. Yeah. So it yeah, makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So something I find funny about um, sort of the whole tech, I suppose you'd say tech reporting world, is um, I listen to a few tech podcasts and it's a little bit like that expression where, what is it, like a mechanic always has his car broken or, damn it, what's <laughs> the expression? I, well, no, no, I, don't, I don't know whether I've heard that, that, but I get like no, the but mechanic's I get, always got his car like half. Yeah, but I get know. the idea. It's like that with them. So these products come out. Um, you know, it'll be like, this is going to make your, your lounge room like the perfect entertainment experience. And then they'll spend like half the, the time talking about how they couldn't get this product communicating to that product and the remote <laughs> control for this. They have all sorts of uh, problems connecting things together and all sorts of compatibility issues with remote controls and HDMI cables and splitter boxes and all sorts of things. And I listen to it and I just feel like, Wow, I'm so glad I don't have all these problems. So it's <laughs> it's like it's like being really into um, their products and stuff. It's always off-putting. It's like, gee, yeah. if I become really into the tech world, this is all the problems I'm going to have to worry about. Gee, I'm glad I I just yeah. sort of watch from the sidelines. I I I get that feeling a lot with a lot of the home automation stuff I I hear about. Yeah, same same. It just yeah. sounds like a massive can of worms that you can yeah. just not open by using your finger to switch the light on. It's just like, you know, oh, I've yeah, got yeah. this Wi-Fi cloud and the Hue light bulb, Philips, blah, blah, connecting to this. And you've got to get the app on your phone. And, ah, oh, like, man. And you, you, it seems to be that if you oh, really so get into that. On. Well, it seems to be that if you really get into that sort of stuff, you need to be a first-rate uh, sysadmin to be able to manage it all, you know? And even then, like, you've... At some point, you're relying on like the updates from the manufacturers because it's not like you can always hack the firmware to every you know Internet of Things device you install in your house. In some mm. cases, it's possible, but well, you don't mm. have control over the firmware. Yeah, yeah. But even if you yeah. do, it's still something to have to mess around with. Yeah, and that's it's a good point. Like, um, I, I see that you know in, in my own case, like. Um, yeah, I've been I've been using Linux since you know twenty seventeen a few a few years now, and um, I, I I love it. It's I love every minute of it. Um, but it's been it's, I've plowed so much time and effort into it, so much since I, I got into it, and um, there's not really a huge material difference in my life compared to when I was just running Windows to do basic computer stuff, um, but um, you know, ostensibly, you know, Linux is good for me because I'm able to use it as a much more effective tool to do, you know, achieve certain ends. But really, like, the, the amount of time I spend getting it all up and running and understanding it all, I, I would say probably outweighs the, the benefit that I get from it as a tool. But I'm happy to, to spend, 
you know that time working with it because I I'm an enthusiast I enjoy the you know the process of doing the work itself you know that's that's the that's the journey for me you know yeah yeah I have a sort of mixed opinions about what you just said there because it's like if you really didn't want to fiddle with it you could just install it and not fiddle with it it's like it's, it's a choice to to get into Ansible and to figure out all this automation like you don't have to do that I've never spent well, time messing with Ansible for example well that's well, that's the thing like wasting if, if time I wanna... with automation well, no, and like that's the thing. I, if I didn't want to have to fiddle with it, I could have just stayed with Windows because, like, when Hang I came on. across because because when I came across to Linux, um, I'd never really had any experience with Linux. I'd never had any experience with. I wanted to start using Vim or Emacs. I'd never had experience with either of those. Um, you know, I, I remember I had all sorts of issues when I was um, just starting off, just getting basic functionality set up the way I had it um, with Windows. So um, it just that that phenomena sort of applied across the board from from my whole Linux journey, basically. Yeah, I, I pretty strongly disagree with this attitude. Like, oh, if I didn't want to fiddle with everything and waste all my time with everything, I would have used Windows. Like, you could just use Linux and not fiddle with everything. It's it's very possible. You just use it and you do the things that it does well and you leave it at that. You don't have to fiddle. Yeah, well, I mean, just as a specific example, when I mean, it's, you know, it's a bit of an outlier, but that's the problem. There's always these outliers. Like when I started using Linux, um, one of the first things I wanted to do was I... I, I use a, uh, a network t- attached storage device to um, keep a copy of all of my working documents and that sort of thing. And I mean, it's, it was, it's very straightforward in, in Windows to um, mount a, like a, a Samba. I mean, obviously, because Samba being a, a Windows technology, but to, to mount a Samba drive just in the file manager and um, and, and that's that's it. But, you know, I, I come across to, uh, to, to Linux and... The first thing I want to do is uh, get um, my uh, NAS drive permanently mounted um, between reboots, um, and I can't figure out a way to do that in the file manager that comes in Linux. And I start looking online, and then I start reading about this um, uh, this this file called etc fs tab, and um, and how you have to you know, add bits to that and um, and you have to be careful about how you write the, the line out and that sort of thing. And it's just like, um, that, that, that was just an immediate roadblock, you know. So it's, you know, if... if uh, two, two things, two things. Hmm. So yep. first of all, if you'd been using Linux for 10 years and then you tried to switch to Windows, you could have similar roadblocks to see. Yeah, yeah, that's probably so, right. So, yeah. so first of all, it's like, like, fair enough. Like, you tried to do to switch a running system to another platform and you had roadblocks. Like, I'm not going to dispute that that happens. But again, you could have some in the other direction too. Yeah, that's probably correct. And the other Um, thing is, like, if that's really important, you could just not use Linux then. You could say, okay, mounting my network drive is really important um, and Linux isn't ready for me yet. And probably you had tried Linux before that. I had, yeah. And and you probably ran into some problem and decided that wasn't for you. Yeah, so, so that's fair enough. And the next thing is you could say, okay, I've got to fiddle with this stupid network attached storage mounting thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess around with it, get it working, then I'm done. And I'm not gonna fiddle with other things. Like it's not like you have to become a tinkerer 
who just messes about with things to fix one problem. You can fix the one problem and then move on with life. Well, so, yeah. So but why it, did you keep going? Why didn't you well, stop? That's well, what I understand. Well, and the other thing was like another example is um, it, there was no simple way to uh, be able to run uh, the Microsoft Office programs on, ah. on Linux, obviously. And and I, I eventually ended up... Um, after lots of research and stuff, I found out about more, you know, um, uh, markup um, uh, or mark markdown type languages to, you know, have, you know, um, human readable markup in, in text files. And, and then that made everything simpler in terms of I didn't need to have, a, you know, a, a software platform that did word processing that saved its files in you know a, a, a binary format even even though it's just a, a renamed zip file or whatever um I, I just moved to doing plain text and stuff but that was a big a big transition over a long period of time and um and and that that was another thing that would have been an issue for me but i mean i mean the the, the reason that i stuck with linux was i'd gotten to the point with windows that i just had a gut full with um, some of the issues that i was having with it um but the other thing was I really wanted to um, make it work with, with Linux. And I got to the point where I sort of decided that um, I was ready to, you know, to compromise on certain things to just stick, keep sticking with Linux basically. But it's um, like I say, I, I, for all those reasons, I ended up investing a lot of time and energy into it, and um, I, I could have potentially avoided a lot of that if I had have just, um, you know, sucked it up and you know, got myself another OEM copy of Windows or whatever. Because I I was on Windows Vista when I switched across to Linux, and um, I didn't have a, a later copy of Windows, and that was one of the reasons that I wanted to make the transition. But um, it's you know, it would have been possible for me to just keep going with Windows and I wouldn't have had to go to all that effort. But the thing is, I, I enjoyed the effort, even though it was painful at times. Um, it was just, you know, I enjoyed doing the work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a pro and a con. It's like, it's interesting to mess with, but then messing with stuff takes time. So, you know, mm. I feel like this about home automation. It's like, okay, well, I'm not really going to get into home automation. I know I'm not going to get into home automation. But it's like, if I got a little bit of home automation, could I just have like just enough to get things, well, to make my life easier in some way, but then not fiddle with it and not mess with it, you know, and not tinker and become interested in how things work and try and improve it and all, all that stuff. I, I think mean, home automation, sorry, that's all right. I was going to say, I think it's possible to do that, but you need to get to, you know, the point where you draw the line and, and there'll be, um, there'll be pain points with whatever, um, whatever setup you've got, gotten when you've gotten to that point. Um, and you just need to, to swallow those pain points if you don't want to get further, um, pulled into, you know, that, that, that platform or that ecosystem, you know? Yeah, I mean, the home automation is a bit of a sort of a fake example. Like, I, I pretty much know I'm not going to get into it. Um, yeah. I'd have to see something pretty compelling uh, 
like a compelling example of something that would make make life easier to get into home automation. Hmm. But um, I mean, I'm not completely against it either. I just all the examples I've seen of home automation haven't really haven't really uh, seemed that useful to me. Hmm. So it's a kind of a choice. It's like, do you want to become a gadget person? You know, like, do you want to become a person who's constantly like caring about the next new thing that comes out, or you know, getting wound up in how things work and details about firmware and all that stuff. It's like yeah. there's certain things where I can accept that. It's like, okay, I'm interested in this product. I care about how it works exactly, but often it just seems too much hassle. Yeah, it's like the uh, the destination Linux guys say, um, the journey is just as important as the destination, you know. It can be, Sure. Sometimes I want other people to have the journey for me and they come out on the other end with the result and I just want to use that result. Yeah, but that's not the geek way. Like if, if you have that approach with something, then you're not being geeky about it at all. You're just, you're just wanting to consume it, you know? Sure, but I want to choose where I focus my geekiness. You know, you want to focus yeah. on things that get the maximum benefit and other things you just want to accept that it's an appliance and you don't care about exactly how it works. Yeah, that's Somebody right. Somebody else's so, problem. Yeah, and which means that you're not a geek for that particular appliance. Yeah. 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 Which, is, which is fine. Yeah, that's right. Well, Michael, do you want to leave it at that? Sounds good. No worries. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that. And like I said, we just thought that there was some interesting ground covered and wanted to put it out there. Thank you for joining us for the conversation. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can find them at our website, which is conversationsincode.xyz. And for any feedback, suggestions, or other thoughts, you can email us at conversationsincode at gmail.com. We'll catch you later.